Good afternoon, ladies. We are studying today Perashat Shavua, Perashat Tazriya. Our Perashah is not from the easy Perashiyot by no means. As a matter of fact, uh, it is fair to say that Perashat Tazriya is maybe from the hardest Perashiyot in the Torah. I will not confuse you, Be'ezat Hashem. We'll try to make it simple so you can understand the concepts. The basic theme of the Perashat talks about a disease called Sara'at. Sara'at is leprosy. Now I want to be very clear that the leprosy that we're talking about is not a physical disease. There is a physical disease called leprosy. We know that. It's a very painful disease, and it's a very contagious disease. However, this disease, Tzara'at, leprosy, this disease that we're talking about today is a spiritual disease. It comes because people make certain sins that we'll discuss. God punishes them. What happens is their skin starts to turn colors, like white spots on their skins. They're taken to the Kohen. The Kohen is like a doctor. He looks at it, and he makes a decision if it's actually the real leprosy or not. And if he says it is, that person must leave the camp, and he must go live in solitary confinement for a few weeks. And it's not enough for him to be in solitary confinement. He must make teshubah. He must repent for the different sins that brought on the leprosy. After that, he brings some sacrifices, and then the Kohen allows him, after checking him again, to come back into the to come back into the camp. The good news is that we don't have leprosy today. This disease does not exist amongst the Jewish people. Uh, that even if these sins are committed, a person will not get these uh, spots on his skin or on his walls, or on his clothes. It doesn't happen today. But just in order that you can appreciate this pirashat in today's generation, the Torah tells us he has to be brought to the Kohen. Once he has white spots, they bring him to the Kohen, so the Kohen can make a, um, a decision. The Kohen, as I said, is like a doctor, so he has to make a prognosis. Is it sara'at or not? And I was wondering, why does he have to be brought to the Kohen? Why doesn't he go himself? I mean, a person sees this funny thing on his skin. Shouldn't he go to the Kohen and say, listen, I'm concerned, there's something on my skin. Could you? It seems he has to be brought. And the understanding is, because people that are involved in this type of behavior, usually what follows this behavior is denial. And therefore they don't want to admit that they have a problem. And therefore what they do is they look at their skin changing colors and they rationalize it. Nah, it's nothing. It's probably something I ate. It's probably eczema. It's probably a certain allergic reaction. Maybe I changed the detergent. It's very difficult for a person to admit that he made a sin. To admit that he's doing something wrong. And therefore he doesn't have to go. He's not going to go take care of himself. And he keeps on with his bad behavior. For example, one of the sins that bring leprosy is speaking Lashon Ara. People that speak about other Jews 
You speak bad about another Jew, you speak gossip about another Jew, you speak negative about another Jew, it comes on you. Or a person is hoary, he's a gava. People that have big egos, people that have uh, very inflated uh, uh, feelings about themselves, they're very uh, high, they have much pride. Sarat comes on those people as well. But again, many times a person doesn't see his own sickness. He doesn't realize that he's a gossip monger. And God's sending him signs. His body's starting to deteriorate. And he doesn't see anything wrong. So the Torah says his friends have to grab a hold of him and say, Listen, fella, you have a problem. We're bringing you to the Kohen. Sometimes a person needs outsiders to come and bring the, bring the remedy. I say that because today we might not have people that have leprosy, but we have people that have problems. You have somebody that might be addicted to all sorts of drugs or chemicals or alcohol or any sort of addiction. And everybody around the addicted person sees that the fellow has a problem. But there's only one person in the world that thinks he has no problem and that's the addict himself. The addict himself doesn't see the destruction that he brought onto his life. He doesn't see all the havoc that he's causing to all the people around him. He doesn't see all the pain that he's bringing to his family. To him, everything is fine. So long as he has his drink, so long as he has his drugs, so long as he can gamble, he has no problem in the world. But everybody around him sees self-destruction. And therefore it's incumbent many times by the family members to take the fellow by the shirt and bring him to the Kohen. And bring him to the rehabilitation. And bring him to the proper, to the proper doctor. That's exactly, today's modern day mitzorah might be compared to the modern day addict. Where he's getting all the signs, but he doesn't get the sign, he doesn't get the message. He loses his family. He has to sell his house. He loses his job. Everything around him is crumbling. And he doesn't see anything. He doesn't see any problem. He just thinks, yeah, I'm not an addict. I could stop anytime I want. I'm okay. It's not a problem. I don't need rehabilitation. I, know, I don't need the help. I don't need advice. But the Torah comes and says, the friends have to take him. Or sometimes the family members have to take him. Or people that are around him have to say, you don't see your own troubles. But we're going to protect you. That's the obligation of a community. It's the obligation of a rabbi. When he sees a community member in danger, and the person is harming himself, and doesn't recognize that he's harming himself, he has to grab him, and bring him to the right place. But I want to talk to you today, about, this trait of arrogance, Gava, and all of you know, I don't have to explain to you what does it mean, arrogance. All of us have come in contact in our lives with people that are hoary that are boastful, that seek honor, that seek glory, people that are dominating, and they want all sorts of kavod uh, uh, at all costs. But I want to tell you what the rabbis told us in the Mishnah. Listen clearly. Hoariness is like an addiction. And if you don't control it, and you don't monitor it, it could take a person out of the world. It can destroy his life. 
Not only does a drug destroy your life, not only does alcohol destroy life, that's for sure, but even bad traits. When a person doesn't work on his character, when a person doesn't develop his personality correctly, the bad character can lead to a self-destruction. A person self-destroying himself because of bad midot. May I give you an example just to show you how far a person will go if he has bad midot. How irrational a person becomes. How insane a person becomes. He's destroying himself and he doesn't even realize it. There's a story in the prophets. There was a judge, a shofet, his name was Gid'on. Gid'on was a good man. Gid'on, I see some of the young girls learned this story. God bless them. Gid'on had 70 children. From one wife. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You have to laugh a little. Okay, April Fools, April Fools. He had many wives. Oh, okay. And he had 70 children. And he had a concubine. That's like a special pilegish, a different type of wife. And he had one son from his concubine. And the name of the son was called Avimelech. So 71 children. Avimelech wanted to become the next judge. He wanted to succeed his father. But he had a lot of competition. He had 70 brothers that also want to have the same position. This fellow Abimelech was a very tough guy. He was a brute. He was violent. And I don't want to get anybody nervous, but he went and he killed all 70 of his brothers in order to, to get power. This was the type of man he was. He was, uh, he was a very, very strong, uh, strong fellow. The story tells what he did. He chopped their thumbs off. He did a whole... Uh, he was a violent, violent fellow. He became the next judge by default. There was nobody to succeed the father. He was the only guy left. Watch what happens. There's a rebellion in the city of Shechem. They want to attack Avimelech and his army. So a lot of the Jews come into a tower in Shechem to you know, attack in a fortress... Avimelech goes and he burns down the whole tower. He kills another thousand people. Wow, so the man really is bloodthirsty, blood hungry, a villain of villains. What happens? Avimelech now goes to fight in another city called Tevetz. In that city he's fighting and he's succeeding. There's a lady that's on the roof. And what happens? The lady takes a stone and she throws it off the roof. And it hits Avimelech in the head, bullseye. And it cracks his skull and he falls down. So now, what do you think Avimelech, he's on now his deathbed. He's going to die within a few minutes. There's no way he can recover from this blow. What does he tell his servant that's next to him? Do me a favor. Take my sword and lance me and put the sword right through my heart. Why? So the people shouldn't say that a lady killed Avimelech. This is, this is what the last words that came out of his mouth. Now I want to explain to you the story so you understand the depth over here. This is a man on his deathbed. Now Avimelech, you know in a few minutes you're going to, be, you're going to meet your creator. Listen, your father was a judge of Israel. You had to know something about our religion. He wasn't a total fool. 
He must have known that there's judgment, there's ulama ba, there's a day of reckoning, there's din behajbon. So he knows in a few minutes he's going to be in front of the great court. And they're going to ask him very serious questions. How did you kill 70 brothers? What did you do? You killed a building with a thousand people. and He's going to have to give a, an accounting. And now he's on his deathbed. A normal human being. What do you do on the deathbed? Khatati, aviti, pashati. At least make a little tishuba. Even the worst villain on his deathbed gets a little scared. Maybe something's going to happen. Make repentance, make tishuba. But what's the only thing that consumes Avimelech? What are they going to say about it's going, to be a, it's going to be a shame that what the people are going to say, Abimelech, the big shot, the one that went and killed everybody, a lady threw a rock and killed him, Bushah, he couldn't withstand, his ego was so great, his ga'ava, his self-inflation was so big, he couldn't die with the fact that somebody should say he got killed by a lady. So instead of making teshubah, instead of thinking good thoughts before he dies, he has to cover it up. Let them put a, a sword through my stomach. So when the, when the news reporters come with the pictures, they'll say, oh, he died a noble death. He died a courageous death, a death of a man in war with swords. This is already a death of bravery. And this is what happens to a person with Ga'ava. He starts to do things that are so irrational and so silly. But let me tell you another story. It's good that you know these stories. It's unfortunate our children know all these stories. But we didn't learn these stories, and many of us have neglected to study the Navi. And that's why I love to take advantage, whenever I have a chance, that you should be familiar with these episodes. Because they're, they're part of our, uh, our, uh, our literature. It's very important that you know these. There was a great prophet called Yirmiyah. Yirmiyah had the unfortunate obligation to be the prophet that preached about the destruction, about the exile, all of Yirmiyah's speeches were negative speeches. How the Jewish people are going to get killed by the enemies. And he didn't make up his speeches. God tells Yirmiyah what to say. He lived in a very bad time, Yirmiyah, where the Jewish people were... Death and destruction was looming in the future, and Yirmiyah was the prophet to warn the Jewish people, repent before it's too late. And every speech is the same speech, warning them. It's coming, it's going to happen, make the Shubah. But there was a false prophet that lived in his time. His name was Hananiah ben Azur. Hananiah ben Azur was a false prophet. And he got up and said, don't listen to Yirmiyah. He's an alarmist. He's scaring everybody. Nothing's going to happen. I'm also a prophet, he said. Everything's going to be okay. God loves us. We're in a good position. Don't be nervous. Yirmiyah said, this is Rasha over here. He's an imposter. He's a faker. He's not a real prophet. Don't listen to Hananiah. Now it became a, a thing. Don't listen to Yirmiyah. Don't listen to Hananiah. So Yirmiyah says, listen, Jewish people, I will say in the name of God that my prophecies are emit, and to prove it, this false prophecy, he's going to die within the year, this prophet. He's going to die within the year. Yirmiyah made a prediction. The Pasuk says that indeed came the seventh month of the year and Hananiah ben Azur died. The rabbi said, what is the seventh month of the year? The seventh month of the year is Tishri. Tishri is Rosh Hashanah. 
So it sounds like Hananiah died on Rosh Hashanah. Comes the Gemara and says, if he died on Rosh Hashanah, that's the next year. Yirmiyah was wrong. He didn't die within the year. He died a day later. Yirmiyah was wrong. The Gemara says, no, listen to what happened. Hananiah ben Azur, after Yirmiyah made that prediction, he was walking in the streets, I'm perfectly healthy. I'm going to die within the year. I just went to the doctor. He gave me a, a clean bill of health. I'm strong, I have no cholesterol, no blood, blood, no nothing. I can live for another hundred years. Yirmiyah said, within the year. And the days were ticking and nothing was happening. Came the last month of the year, Elul. Nothing was happening, he's walking in the street. There the prophet Yirmiyah, he said, I'm going to die. Does anybody look like I'm going to die? I'm fine, I'm strong. Came the last day of the year, he got sick. And he got so sick, that Hananiah in his brain said, he's going to die. He knew it, that the prophet Yirmiyah is right. It, it got him on the last day of the year. Right before he dies. What does Hananiah tell his family? Don't take my body out till after Rosh Hashanah. Wait an extra day. So we can upstage the prophet. So we can show that the prophet was wrong. Everybody will think I died a day later. Now they'll say, Ha! Hananiah bin Azul was right. That was the last words that came out of his mouth. And I ask you a question, ladies. There's nobody that knows about a false prophet more than the false prophet himself. You see, the people can get fooled, but the false prophet knows he's a faker. He knows he's making up things. And again, I tell you, Hananiah bin Azul knows he's going to die in two minutes. He knows he's going to have to go to God in two minutes and explain why he's giving false prophecies, why he's misleading the people, why he's tricking everybody, why he challenged God's chosen one, Yudimiyah. He knows in two minutes he's in trouble. You know what a normal human being does? Hatati aviti pashati. Hananiah on his deathbed should say, I made a terrible mistake, I made a terrible misjudgment. Please God, forgive me. And you know what? God would forgive him. God accepts the Teshuvah from anybody. No matter what crime you commit, if you, if you really feel bad, and you mean it, God will forgive you. But instead, what's Hananiah worried? Kavod. He's worried about his honor. What are they going to say? I got to show that Yirmiyah was wrong. But I wanted to even tell you a step further. According to the books, God forbid when somebody passes away, it's very important that they're buried immediately. As quick as possible. All of you know this, Halakha. As a matter of fact, in Jerusalem, the holy city, they don't let a body remain overnight without burial. That means if somebody, God forbid, passes away at 10 o'clock at night, they make the funeral at 10 o'clock at night. And then they go, they bury. They don't, because the books bring that as quick as possible that a person could be buried and if not, it's very painful for the neshama. It's a big tsar. Once death comes to any to somebody far away, until the burial, it's a tsar. It's a tremendous pain. I want to tell you something. This false prophet Hananiah, he knew this. He knew this that there's a great pain if you're not buried immediately. But what does he say? Bury me tomorrow. He's willing to suffer. He's willing to let his body be racked. But it's to your benefit. He'll hurt himself. Just what? 
I can't show that the Prophet was right. I gotta show. Let them take my body out on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Everybody will say, Oh, Yirmiya made a mistake. He was a day off. Uh, Hananiah is willing to hurt himself. Self-destruction. For what? For his honor. You see how crazy a person can get? How insane a person gets? Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, you're thinking, not me, this doesn't mean, you're talking about a guy from the prophets. This is a story of a thousand years ago. They were different, these type of people. We're not like that. This was, uh, they were made up of different, uh, uh, different blood maybe they had in them. Maybe they had different genes. But me, I cannot reach this level. Let me tell you another story. And this is probably the most astounding of the stories that I'm going to tell you today. It's another story from the prophets. The first king of Israel, of the Jewish nation, from the family of David, was David HaMelech himself. David was a, uh, of course, one of the most uh, prominent kings that we ever had, King David. He's the symbol of kingdom, David HaMelech. David Melech Israel Kayam. After he died, his son took over. His son was King Solomon, Shalomo. Shalomo became the king at only 12 years old. And he ruled for 40 years over the, over, the, over the whole entire world. Maybe the most pronounced kingdom ever in our history was the kingdom of Shalomo Melech, And he built the first temple as well. After Shalomo died, Shalomo's son took over. You see, that's the way the kingdom went. It started from David... David's son, David's grandson, great-grandson, great-great-great. If you were direct descendant of David, you became the king. So his grandson, Rehabam, became the king. But at that point, God decided to split the kingdom. No more was the family of David going to be the king of all the nation. There was going to be two kings. The king in Jerusalem, and then the king for everybody else. And it was a punishment to the Jewish people. Now you needed to have two kings. We can't imagine such a thing. Imagine you have one country with two presidents. The president of the East Coast and the president of the West Coast. And it's a, it's a separate uh, monarchy. And who decided who the first king is going to be on the other side? God decided. God went to his prophet, Ahiyah Shiloni, and told Ahiyah, go appoint Yerovam ben Nevat. What does that tell you about Yeruvam ben Nevat? This fellow called Yeruvam must have been a great, great personality. He must have been a Torah giant. God picked him. Understand, ladies, he wasn't related to David. So he didn't have the genes in him of, 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 of Malchut. But God picked him from all the people. He's worthy to sit on the throne as well. And sure enough, he became the king. Coronated by a prophet. Everything's fine. Yeruvam's big rabbi, scholar, Torah, he's got everything going for him. Unbelievable. You're not going to believe the story, but I'm going to tell you. The holiday of Pesach was coming. Yeruvam started to get nervous. Why is he getting nervous? Because he knows all the Jewish people are going to go to Jerusalem for the holiday. As I said many times, in the olden days, you only had one Passover trip. You had to go to Jerusalem. Today we have other places that we go to. But in the olden days, there was one trip. You had to go to Yerushalayim, Irak, Kodesh. In any event, so I'm good, it's beautiful. Pesach in Jerusalem. Yerevan, what are you nervous from? He was nervous. Because the halakha says all the Jews go to Jerusalem. And they would build a big platform. 
like on a stage where all the Jewish people would come and there would be speeches and there short. It was like a convention of the Jews. And they would put a throne on the platform. They would put one throne, one chair. And since it's in the holy area, nobody's allowed to sit in the holy area. Everybody has to stand. But there's only one exception. The king that comes from David Amelech's family can sit in the chair. Nobody else can sit. Even Yerovam cannot sit. Because he's not from the throne. He's not from the family of David. He's the king, but he can't sit. It's So Yerovam starts to get himself crazy. What's going to happen? We're all going to go up to Jerusalem. Rehavam, the grandson of David, is going to be sitting in the chair. I'm going to be standing. What are they going to say about me? He's a better king than I am. Why is he standing? He's sitting. The people are going to rebel. Kavod got to him. So listen to what a person does when the kavod takes over. You're not going to imagine what he did. I have to make sure nobody goes to Jerusalem for the holiday. For what? Because he's going to sit and you're going to stand? You're worried about what? What's the difference? So you stand for a couple of minutes. No, what are the people going to say? He's better than me. He's getting more honor. So what did he do? You're not going to imagine. He He did the unimaginable. As the people were going to Jerusalem, he set up Posts, security posts, with signs, detour, road blocked. Now all of a sudden, this guy gets to the, what's going on, I want to go to Jerusalem, no, 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 there's uh, roads are blocked, make a left. Okay, make a left, where, where did he detour them to? To one city in the north of Israel, and one city in the south, Dan and Be'er uh, Sheva. Two different cities, and what did he do in those two cities? I can't even imagine what he did. He built... Two golden calves. Abu Dazara. And he tells the Jewish people, this is it, we're going to do this for now on. Now we're going to worship. We know what one golden calf did to our nation. Could you imagine this villain? He went and he rerouted the Jewish people to do different areas. Instead of going to Jerusalem, they went to these off locations. And now they're worshiping Abu Dazara. Ladies, as a result, the Gemara says, Yerovam became one of the worst Rishaim. He's considered a choteh umahati etaam. You know, it's one thing to sin yourself, but to cause others to sin. And the Gemara says, he forfeited his olam He has no olam We're sitting today giving a class. Yerovam is not an olam Men went from the greatest chosen one of God, but what got in the way? Kavod. And what did the Kavod do? It took him out of the world. It destroyed him. And you ask yourself, who destroyed Yerovam? He himself destroyed himself. Why? He's going to sit. I'm going to be standing. So he went crazy. But the story goes further. And this is the part that's... We talk about people acting illogical. The Gemara writes in Sanhedrin, God felt bad for Yerovam. Now listen... He made a sin. God says, like I told you, any sin you can make teshuvah. So God came to Yerovam. And God told Yerovam, if you make teshuvah, me and you and David and Melech will take a tour in Gan Eden together. What an option. What a, what is a, I don't know what this means to take a tour with God in Gan Eden. And who's on the tour bus with you? David and Melech. And you're taking a tour, private tour of Gan Eden, and all Yerovam has to say, 
Hatati. God's giving him a chance to save. He's giving him a life save. He's throwing him a, a life preserver. Make this shuvah and you're in. And the last words of Yeruvah, the words that our rabbis have repeated to us so many times to teach you what happens to a person when he goes after his honor. What does he tell God in that meeting? Mi barosh. Who's first? Who's sitting in the front? Me or David? So God says, David's going to sit in the front. So Yeruvah says, if that's the case, I'm not interested. He took the lifesaver, he gave it back. Tipesh, Hamor, Shoteh, Bur. What happened to you? Yeruvaham. You're going to give up everything? Why? Because David's going to sit. What are you talking? But again, is he any less than the drug addict? The guy lost his wife. The guy lost his house. The guy lost his business. And he's fine. He's going, stop your drugs. Stop your drinking. Stop your getting. No, I'm fine. Nothing wrong. And he's destroying himself and it's getting worse and worse. Make the shubah for what? The shubah for what? I don't have a problem. And what ends up happening to Yeruvah? He's banned from Ulam Abba. The Gebarah says, in He lost his eternity. He went from riches to rags, to spiritual, spiritual destruction. May I tell you another story? We came for stories today. It's very easy. It's good to hear stories. It's good to hear stories. It's good. They're good stories. They're good stories. This story you must know. What am I showing you? I'm showing when a person gets involved with bad traits, the bad trait consumes you. And don't think it can't happen to you. And I'm talking to myself, don't think it can happen to me. It can happen to anybody. If you don't control it by coming to classes and learning and hearing Musad and being aware of these things, the traits can and it'll cause a person to do the most ridiculous things because the, the bad trait, it becomes, a, it becomes a master over you. Listen to the story. There was a Goy, a Gentile general, he was the general of one of the most important armies, the army of Aram. Aram is Assyria. His name was Naaman. As great as the general as Naaman was for the Goyim, he had leprosy all over his body. He was a leper. Now, that's a very painful disease to go through in life. And he went to every doctor and to every soothsayer and to every magician. He was a rich man. And nobody could give him a refuah. Uh, he tried conventional, he tried holistic, he tried everything he can try. Nothing cured Naaman from his leprosy. One day, the king of Aram got news that there's a prophet by the Jews, Elisha. And the king made a meeting that Elisha should meet Naaman. And will cure him. So Naaman's all excited. What is it? There? Syria is on the border. He'll just jump over the border. He'll go visit. He got his address. Meeting at three o'clock. He'll go visit the prophet. And uh, he tried everything else. What does it cost him? He'll go to the Jewish prophet. Maybe he has a, a remedy. He gets to the prophet's house. Elisha, of course, knows that Naaman's there. He sends out. He sends out one of his servants. 
the servant says, you're Naaman? You don't have to ask him. He sees him. He's white. He has all leprosy. He says, my rabbi said, Elisha, that if you want to get better, you have to go to the Jordan River over here and dip seven times in the Jordan River. Okay, and the guy goes, Naaman has a nervous breakdown almost. He starts to scream, what? Jordan River? I came all the way from Syria to go dip in the Jordan River. We have better rivers in Syria. We have the Parpar, Amana. Our waters are much better. What is this over here to go in the Jordan River? This is what he brought me over here for. He's flipping. He's having a, a, an attack, the guy. He's going wild. But I want to teach you a lesson, ladies. When somebody starts to get angry and scream, you have to listen very closely what they're saying. Listen to everything they say and then you'll be able to see the root of really why he's angry. It sounds like he got offended because of the rivers. All of a sudden he became a conservationist. All of a sudden he's so worried about the rivers of Syria. He became, uh, you know, a, a greenhouse. He's worried about the environment all of a sudden. Oh, we have better rivers. You became the lawyer for the Parpar River. You became the lawyer for the Amana River. It sounds like he's worried about... That you offended my country. You offended the waters of Syria. But again, listen closely what he says. He continues saying, in his tirade of course. He says, I thought that I'm going to come here to Israel and the prophet is going to come out to greet me. And instead he sends out one of his underlings, he sends out one of his servants. Oh, that's the point. You don't care about the rivers. You got offended. Naaman, Ga'avan, Naaman. He's a ge'eh. He figured he's going to come into Israel with his uh, army uniform on, with his, all his decorations. And he figures the, the prophet of Israel is going to come out. Baruch Abba. Naaman is here. Baruch going to sing songs for him. He's going to bow to him. It's good to see you. He's going to give him all sorts of false flattery and kavod, have a drink, have a coffee. And instead, nothing. The prophet doesn't even come out to shake his hand. He sends out a shamosh. Here's your prescription. Go dip in the river seven times. And the Ahmad says, what? That's what he does? He doesn't come out to greet me? I'm not dipping. I'm not doing it. Now ask yourself a question, ladies. The man is suffering a disease for his whole life. It's a painful disease. The prophet gave him a very easy remedy. Go take a bath in the Jordan River. The prophet could have told him you have to eat mud for a week. And he would have to do it also. He gave him an easy remedy. Go swimming for, for a couple of minutes. But what? He's not going to do it. Why? Gava. He didn't come out to greet me. We're going home. Look what a pr- He'll destroy himself. I got offended. I got slided. So who are you punishing, Naaman? Elisha? Elisha has no problem. Elisha, he don't care if you have leprosy or not. He's doing you a favor. So who are you hurting? You want to hurt yourself? But Naaman was lucky. Should I tell you why he was lucky? If he was alone, he would have went back home and he would have spited himself and destroyed himself. But he had some good advisors around him. And they told him, Naaman, you're being silly. Just listen to the prophet. Put your kavod on the side for a minute. Just go dip in the Jordan River. What do you have to lose? And they calmed him down and they massaged him. They told him, you're good. We love you. Na'aman. You're so big. They gave him a kavod. 
So he said, okay, you know what? I'll go. Even though it's against my... Stop with your kavod. Now just go dip. He went into the Jordan River. He came out. The David tells us his skin was like a baby. Baby skin. Not regular skin. Baby skin. Beautiful, new skin, clean. Naaman couldn't believe it. Only then did Elisha come out to greet him. As I explained it to you, there's no magical powers of the Jordan River, ladies. If somebody, God forbid, has something on their skin, there's nothing in the Jordan that's going to cure them. You know what the sickness of Naaman was? Ga'va, hoariness. So Elisha says, I'm going to fix him. He has to humble himself. I'm not coming out to greet him. Let him break it. Let him break the ga'va. Let him swallow his pride once in his life. Once he swallows his pride, it's not the waters. That's why he told them, go and dip in the water. When somebody goes to the mikveh, how do you dip in the mikveh? You have to bend. You have to, you have to lower yourself. Lower yourself, Naaman. He humbled himself once for the first time. It got better. But listen, there's a story that goes with this. And I'll let you go. Sorry, we're going over the time. No, we're good. Naaman was so impressed by the prophet, he converted. And I want to be Jewish. This is unbelievable. I went to every doctor, every day. But one of the things that impressed Naaman more than anything, after he cured him, but I'm just trying to show you that his ga'ava would have, if it wasn't, if he didn't have advisors, he would have hurt himself. He tells Elisha, what can I give you? I have to give you something. I have to give you payment. You, you help me. I want to give you a gift. Elisha says, Hasbash Shalom, I don't want anything. I didn't do this for remuneration. I didn't do this to be compensated. I didn't do this for money. This is not a business. I did it to show that there's God in Israel. Naaman says, what do you mean? He never saw such a thing before. You did me a favor. You went. You don't want anything? I don't want anything. We don't, we don't take anything for this. Naaman was so impressed. He said, this is finally, I'm, I'm seeing something that's authentic. I'm seeing the Shem Shamaim, something that, he went crazy. He leaves with such a good feeling. He goes back. But, Elisha had a servant. His right hand man. Elisha's servant was a fellow by the name of Gehazi. Now ladies, Gehazi was Adam Gadol, was also a Torah giant. Well, do you think you could be the servant of Elisha if you're not a great man? To serve the great Sadiq, you have to be a Sadiq yourself. What do you think they put next to the Sadiq? Uh, uh, a simpleton? Gehazi was a great man. But he had one weakness. One weakness. His weakness was not honor. He didn't care to be the prophet. He didn't care to have power. He didn't have Yerovahim's Yitzhak. He wasn't interested in having, you know, uh, he's sitting, he's standing. He wasn't interested in all that stuff. That wasn't his Yitzhak. You know what his Yitzhak was? Money. That was his weakness. Again, everybody has a different Yitzhak. And he couldn't get over that weakness of money. So what happens now? Gehazi's standing there, and he sees Naaman's offering a million dollars. And what does Elisha say? No, I swear I'm not going to take a penny. And Gehazi says, <laughs> If he would have taken it, what could we have done with a million dollars? We could have built, we could have went. It's killing him. How did Elisha give up a million dollars? So what is he supposed to do? Take a walk around the block. Go get an ice cream. Calm yourself down. 
Talk to yourself. Hashem runs the world. We'll make it somewhere else. Don't worry about it. Kapara. Talk yourself out of it. One rabbi told his student, when his student was complaining, God's not giving me panasa. So the rabbi said, are you worse than a hair? I told him, I'm worse than a hair. What are you talking about? In a person's head, every hair has its own follicle. That God created a sustenance for every hair. Every, the two hairs do not grow in the same follicle. That means God created a place where each hair can nurture itself. If God has mercy on a hair, you don't think He has mercy on you? You're less than a hair? He should have talked to himself, Kehazi. He should have said to himself, don't worry, kapara. But look what he did. He couldn't control it. And when you don't control the weakness, the weakness controls you and it destroys you. And listen to what happened. He chases Naaman. He's chasing Naaman. Naaman looks back, he sees Gehazi, and he shouts, right hand man. He stops. Yes, Gehazi, Hakam, what can I do for you? He says, uh, Elisha changed his mind. He wants the money. Naaman says, what do you mean he changed his mind? He swore to me that he doesn't want to take a penny. No, you see, we have a yeshiva, and you know, the Faniyim. He made a whole story. But Naaman was suspicious. He said, the guy swore to me he doesn't want to take a penny. Now you tell me two minutes later he wants to. So he says, I swear to you, this is what he said. He's, oh, now he's swearing falsely. He's lying. So he tells uh, Naaman, and all he wants is uh, $10,000. Naaman was very generous. He says, you know what? He really helped me take, take the million. Wow, he gets the million. Whatever it was, I'm making an example. Million. It was, it, was, it was garments, it was animal, whatever he gave him. Gehazi was thrilled. Everybody's happy. Shalom, I say. The Amman's going to go back to Aram, we'll never see him again. Elisha, I don't know anything. I have the money. Beautiful. Everybody lives happily ever after. There's only one thing Gehazi forgot. Your rabbi's a prophet. How are you going to hide this from the prophet? And who knows more than Elisha is a prophet than Gehazi? What happened to you, Gehazi? How do you think you're going to pull the wool over the eyes of Elisha? It's what he could fool Naaman. He's Jewish only for five minutes. He don't know nothing. But Elisha, what, what do you think is going to happen? How could you fool Elisha? What happens? He comes back. Elisha says, where were you? Oh, no, but I don't worry. I went for a walk. Elisha says, Gehazi. What did you do? What happened to you, my dear student, Gehazi? You couldn't control yourself. You swore falsely, like a like a radar, like a like like a cat scan. He started to read right through him, like he was reading his forehead. You took the money, Gehazi. And then he got so angry at him, he said, May the leprosy of Naaman go on you and your children for life. And that's what ended up happening to Gehazi. Gehazi became a leper for the rest of his life. He went from becoming the most hashuv person, he became a zero, he became a hazid case, he became a misfit, he became a miskeen. Leprosy, him and his family. Why? He couldn't control his Yetzirah. He couldn't control himself. He had to go after the money. He had to make Hilul Hashem. He had to lie in the name of the prayer. In one second, he went from being a star of Israel to dirt. He went from being nothing. And if you need examples in the modern day, and of course, 
to keep the laws of modesty, I'll be very vague, but all of you know what happened to a former governor of this state just a few weeks ago. Now I ask you ladies, who knows more on what the law is than somebody that was a former prosecutor? Who knows exactly the punishment? Who knows exactly all the... And the man had what? Temporary insanity. He forgot all the laws that he himself was prosecuting. He forgot the law that it's possible if he gets caught. But again, when you're involved in Tava, his Tava was not money. His Tava was not Kavod. He had a different Tava. He had a lust. And he couldn't control it. And what happens? Again, if you cannot control the weakness eventually the weakness will control you and you'll make such silly decisions. And everybody's trying to figure out all the pundits on CNN. What was he thinking? What was he thinking? What was he... He wasn't thinking. That's the problem. When you're, what is a drug addict thinking? What is an alcoholic thinking? He's not thinking. The, the, the addiction is so strong that you become crazy. What was Yerufaham thinking? Could you tell me when God told him to make this Shuvah and Yerufaham says, who's sitting in the front? What is he thinking? The Gava is so strong. What is Naaman thinking? He didn't come out to greet me. I'm not dipping in the Jordan. What are you, crazy? You can't ask that question because once already a person goes after his, he hits it and doesn't control it, it's a matter of time where it will destroy him. Who destroyed the governor? Some Zonot? No. The governor destroyed himself. It's a self-destruction and he didn't see it coming. That's the... What the Mishnah says, Hakavod, jealousy. I remind you, and I'll conclude. I told you a story that was in the news maybe a year ago, and I repeated it here to make a point. There was a an astronaut, a lady astronaut, that worked for NASA. She has to be a brilliant lady. Anybody that gets to go into the space shuttle to go up to space, they only pick people. She graduated from the uh, academy, etc. Brilliant lady. But what happened? It seems she got involved in some sort of triangle. Her boyfriend went with somebody. Oh, story, a soap opera. So she got jealous. She got jealous. She has to take revenge on this girl. So she drove 900 miles from Texas to Orlando International Airport because she found out that that lady is going on a plane and she has weapons and she's going to kill this. Now, where's your question? She's a smart lady. She's not crazy. She graduated the honors in college. You're driving for 900 miles. You don't stop at a red light and think to yourself, what am I crazy? What, what, am, I, what am I doing? I'm driving down 900 with an accident in my, in my trunk with garbage. What, what am I crazy? What am I doing over here? But she didn't think. Because once already she let the jealousy consume her, she got caught in the end. They were waiting for her at the airport. And what is she today? Nothing. She's sitting in jail. Zero. What? Don't feel bad. She deserves to sit in jail. But what's the point? When you let jealousy consume you, when you let money consume you, when you let honor consume you, it will consume you. And it'll, it'll self-destroy the person. And then the person becomes his own worst enemy. And that's why the Torah says in the parasha, sometimes a person cannot see his own destruction. He needs to be taken by somebody else. The Kohen, somebody has to bring the Mitzvah. Hey, look, wait, I don't want to go. You are grabbing you by the shirt. You have to go to the Queen. You need help. 
And the greatest thing that can happen to the Mitzorah is the Kohen could tell him, go outside for a couple of months, sit in solitary confinement. Now at least he's in rehab. Now when he comes back, he's an upper. Forget about the skin discoloration. The root of the problem now is healed. Yeratzon, we should be zochet. This is very strong Musab. And the Musar is, it's not Gehazi, and it's not Yerovam, and it's not the son of Gid'on that uh, was worried that he might get killed by a lady. It's us we're talking to. All of us have to be very careful not to let these bad traits overtake us. And Bezat Hashem, we will prevail, we'll be strong, we will overcome the Yetzir, and Bezat Hashem, it will lead us to Hayyin Yetzir, Hayyin Yetzir,